Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now, grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. Amen. You can be seated. I invite you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 16. We're going to talk about investing in the kingdom of God through our North American mission offering. I told some of the folks earlier that I just came off of a week of teaching through an interpreter, preaching, and every phrase I did, I had to stop and wait to hear it in French. So when I stood up this morning at 8.30, I was kind of awkward because I said, open your Bibles to Acts 16, and I was waiting for somebody to say that in French. Uh, So I I, I think after one worship service, I've gotten over that. But the other thing that I did over there on on Tuesday, or actually on Wednesday, I started teaching, and it was a difficult day, uh, or Thursday, and my days were running together. The second day of teaching, I I preached for two hours through an interpreter, and I was I was. Just, I was really pushing it because you're trying to keep 500 people in a hot room with no air conditioning awake, and, and uh, they'd already been sitting through a whole uh, four hours of teaching in the morning. So I'm teaching like crazy, and I'm just preaching, and when I'm done, I decided it's time to take a break, and so I say, let's take a break now, and nobody's moving, and the, the president sitting over here says, are you tired? And I said, well, no. He said, well, keep going, and so they say, keep going, so um, I can do this for three hours, <laughs> and all God's people said... Amen. Yeah. All right. We'll see about that. Some of you have a hard time sitting still for thirty minutes, much less three hours. But uh, anyway, so I got I got that out of my system. All right. Let's look at Acts chapter sixteen. This is a, a passage of scripture about some church planters. Paul and Silas here, specifically here, going to Philippi to plant a church. And I, I thought as we. Our, our North American mission emphasis in our denomination is to plant churches. That's where we, we see the most results. That's where we see the, the most impact on the kingdom. To go into a community, a city, uh, and we're, we're targeting 30 uh, major cities in America where there's a huge unchurched population, to go in there and establish a beachhead and put together a small group and lead that small group to constitute as a church and then to reach that community. So since that's the emphasis of our mission board, I thought I would go to a, a, a church planting passage and look at some application from these, uh, these church planters and how important it is for us to be involved in this church planting movement of our denomination. If you would look at Acts chapter 16, verse 6, and follow along as I read. They went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia and were prevented by the Holy Spirit from speaking the message in Asia. When they came to Mysia, they tried to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So, bypassing Mysia, they came down to Troas. And during the night, a vision appeared to Paul. A Macedonian man was standing and pleading with him, cross over to Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, we immediately made efforts to set out for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to evangelize them. You notice Luke writing the book of Acts here. This, the book of Acts is a follow-up to the gospel of Luke. He uses the term we in there, so he's in, involved in telling this story of Paul and Silas. Several things that I want us to, to remember as we think about investing in missions in North America. First of all, when we do it, we follow the biblical example of responding to the Holy Spirit. We follow the biblical example of responding to the Holy Spirit. 
In this passage of scripture, you have Paul on a, a target to take the gospel and, and into Asia. And God's Holy Spirit prompts him not to do that. And he makes a detour. And God's Holy Spirit prompts him to make another detour. And ultimately what God does is he directs Paul to take the gospel to Europe. That's where the, the move of the gospel went from this point on. Paul was headed east, and if he had not followed the Holy Spirit's prompting, the gospel would have gone that way into Russia, into those countries. But it said it went this way into Europe. God is prompting the Apostle Paul to be open to the Spirit of God. We call our missionaries, our church planters in our denomination, to be sensitive to the Spirit of God. One of the testimonies that you might have seen, you didn't see, but it was on the video, about how God had directed a man to, to Brooklyn and followed God's leadership to connect with another man there and, and how God put those, those men together. We follow this example of Paul and Silas in responding to the Spirit of God. I love what G. Campbell Morgan said. He said, it's better to go to Troas with God than anywhere else without him. That's what Paul did. God's calling him to Troas, and he's going to follow God there. I've learned that. It's better to go where God calls you than anywhere else. I was looking through my uh, history of missionaries and and looked at some of the famous names in, in not just our denomination, but in the world mission movement. And I, I was fascinated to see how many of them had a plan and God detoured them just like he did with Paul. I read about David Livingston. His initial plan was to go to China and God redirected him to go to Africa. William Carey had planned to go to the South Seas and he ended up being the greatest, one of the greatest missionaries in India. Adoniram Judson had planned to go to India, but God directed him to Burma. I was thinking about the Redmonds in our church, Jim and Judy Redmond. They had plans to go to Malaysia, and God redirected them into Thailand. And that was kind of one of the open doors that we've had in the ministry at Thailand. God has a way of calling us and then directing us and redirecting us to where he wants us. I was thinking about my own ministry and my call to ministry. When I graduated from Southwestern Seminary in, in Fort Worth, Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, long, so I just say Southwestern, okay, when I graduated from there in 1986, I, I had nowhere to go, but I knew God was calling me to pastor a church. So I did what all seminary graduates do. I put my resume together, and I sent it to state conventions and associations and saying, I'm coming out of seminary. If there are any churches in your area that need a pastor, I might be your guy. So I prayed about it, and I felt like God was sending me west. And so I sent, I knew I was going to end up in Arizona or New Mexico. I just knew that. I grew up in El Paso, West Texas, and I, I just had this feeling I was going west. So I, I sent my resume to state conventions and to associations out there. And then I thought, I probably should send them to a few associations in Texas. So I sent my resume to a few associations in Texas. But there was one association, one area, a couple of associations. I did not send my resume because I'd already been there. I'd driven through that country. Uh, I knew what it was like, and I said, I do not want to go there. Uh, thank you very much. So I won't send my resume there because that God might end up taking me there. So um, I prayed and talked to some folks in Arizona, talked to some folks in Central Texas, nothing happened. And I get a phone call from a man in Crystal City, Texas, which is in the heart of the brush country. Y'all been to Crystal City, Texas? I, I had driven through there, and I, I just had no idea. And I said, okay, let me, anyway, so the man says, we'd like you to come and talk. I, I didn't send him my resume. How did he get it? I don't know. He got it through the seminary. So I went down there, fell in love with the people, fell in love with the city, fell in love with the church. It had some most fruitful days of ministry there. That's where I met Larry and Rosemary Stewart. Just God's hand was in that. And that was someplace I didn't want to go. That was someplace, not only did I not want to go, I figured there's no way God's going to take me there. I'm going there. And God had different plans. I have been praying 
for the last 10 years for an opportunity to do what I just got to do last week. I feel like I've got 30 years of ministry. At the time when I started praying this 10 years ago, 20 years of ministry under my belt. I, I love to help young pastors. I love to, to mentor guys. I just, I've, I've been praying for an opportunity that. And every avenue that I've looked into, has, it's been a closed door until I hear from this opportunity about World Hope and get to go to Africa. And it, it was just neat how God opened that door and made that happen. I really thought when I called them up and or, uh, signed up online that I was going to go to Mexico or you know Central America and meet with about 25 guys who spoke Spanish and I could kind of communicate with them a little bit and that would be my, and when they said, no, we want you to go to Ivory Coast, which I had to look up because I didn't know where that was, and we want you to teach 500 pastors in French. <laughs> and I said, okay, Lord, I've already said yes, I'll go wherever you, you call me. I've said, yes, I'll go wherever they need me, and they've said they need me there, so I'm going there. God directs where he wants. Just, we just have to be open. I could park on that. Let me just ask you this before I move on. Could you say in every area of my life, I am open to any change that the Holy Spirit might direct in every area of my life? Paul was. Recently in my, my, my passion to help pastors, I've been open to that. Are you open in every area, in your finances, in your stewardship, in your, in your home, in your relationships, in your career, in your calling? I, I think God spoke to a young man in the early service at, at 8.30. And he approached me in the foyer and said, man, I'm thinking about getting some more training because God may be calling me into something like that. Praise the Lord. Are you open to the Spirit's call in your life? When we invest in missions, we have to respond to the Spirit. Secondly, we get to recognize that God is preparing hearts ahead of time. When we invest in missions, we get to do like Paul did, and we get to see God preparing hearts ahead of time. Look with me at verse 11. Then setting sail from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace. The next day to Neapolis, and there to Philippi, a Roman colony, which is the leading city of that district of Macedonia. We stayed in that city for a number of days. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the city gate by the river where we thought there was a place of prayer. We sat down and spoke to the women gathered there. By the way, what Paul's strategy was, it was a great strategy. He would go into a town or a city. He would go to the synagogue first because in the synagogue, you had people who had already had some experience with the Old Testament. Many times you had what were called God-fearers, people who were, who were pagans, who were Gentiles, who had come to the synagogue because they were looking for a relationship with the true God. So Paul would go there and he would be, plan, plan a, uh, an opportunity to teach there and then that would open the door to plant a church. Well, there was no synagogue here, just a group of women, not enough Jewish men to form a synagogue. So they have these women out there at the river at a place of prayer and Paul goes where they are. Verse 14 a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who worshiped God, was listening. I love that. She was listening. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was spoken by Paul. That is my prayer every time we meet, that God would open our hearts to the teaching from his word. I pray from scripture, God, open our eyes that we could see wonderful truths from your instruction, from his instruction, that God would open our hearts and eyes spiritually. She was listening. After she and her husband were baptized, she urged us, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. The work begins there in Philippi through Lydia. God was preparing Europe for the gospel. It's interesting. God brought Lydia all the way to Philippi from Thyatira, where she was, 
where she was from. Thyatira was one of those places the Spirit prompted Paul not to go to. And he brings her to Philippi because he's at work in her heart. God's saying, I want the gospel to go this way, and there's a lady that's open to me, and I'm going to put her right there, and she's going to be in your path, and you're going to share the gospel, and she's going to be open. Isn't that great? When God speaks to us to minister to somebody, to share Christ with somebody, to encourage somebody, God, his Holy Spirit's already been at work there. Don't miss this truth. This is a truth. When God prompts me to talk to someone, God's already prompted them to listen. God's preparing hearts. He's preparing people. And when I invest in missions through our North American mission offering, I get to recognize that God's already at work. I'm just getting the gospel to those people. God's already prepared. We had a day to get acclimated to, uh, to Africa, to Yamasukro, and uh, I flew in. We got in late that first night. I don't remember what night it was. But the next day, there was nothing on the agenda. It was just to get over your jet lag. So I thought, great. Slept in till nine or something. Uh, got with the folks, and they said, here's, here's what we've got for the day. We're going to do this this evening, but you got some free time. And I thought, good, nap. Nap. I'm going to go to my hotel room. There's air conditioning. I'm going to take a nap. And they said, but there's this, there's this basilica here that you've got to see. It's the tallest in the world. It's supposed to be one of the largest in the world. And you just, need to see, you just need to go see it. So I'm thinking, okay, I'll go check it out, but I'm coming back to take a nap. So I told the interpreter, I said, can we just kind of go look at it so I can get a picture of me in front of this thing? It's huge. They have, they have pictures in, uh, in, in the basilica of it next to all these other major cathedrals in the world, and it's taller and bigger and holds 30,000-something inside. It's huge. So I'm thinking, I'm just going to go through there, and I'm going to do the Kevin walkthrough, you know? You just walk through. Okay, there is a picture. We're going to go home. Well, we get there, and uh, we, get to the, we walk up the steps after we've signed in, and we're standing there, and they say, I said, what are we waiting for? And they said, for the tour guide. I'm like, oh, man. All right, the good news was it was just a handful of us. So I thought maybe we can get the tour guide to give us a quick tour. So we walked through there, and every time one of our guys would ask him a question, I think, don't ask him any questions. Just let him move on. So we uh, walked through, and apparently the young man was a Roman Catholic because it's a Catholic basilica. Uh, by the way, the president of, of uh, Cortevoir donated that land and that basilica to the Vatican, so we were on Vatican soil there. It's crazy. But we go through this, and, I'm, and I, I, I learned something. I, I told the young man who was interpreting for me. I said, Dennis, I said, I'm learning something here in Cotevoix. I'm learning to slow down. Because everywhere I went, I was saying, hurry up. And they weren't hurrying. None of them. So I said, you know what? I'm on this tour. I'm just going to make the best of it. So we're walking through, and they said, we're going to go up to the top now. And you can either take the elevator or the stairs. And I'm jet lagged. I'm tired. And I said, elevator, please. So we get in the elevator, and there's like five of us, I guess, and we go up the elevator, and it's climbing up the, you know, way up there, and it just stops, and he kind of looks, and he does the buttons, you know, I think about some of those movies I've seen, and nothing's happening, I thought, great, Lord, I'm exhausted, I'm tired, I'm going to stand here in a hot elevator in Africa, this is my first day, and then God just kind of prompted me and said, you know what, you got a captive audience, why don't you talk to this tour guide about his relationship with the Lord, so I started, he, he spoke enough English, because they said, we got an American, he needed English doing the tour. So got to talk to him about it, just challenge him. And, and he seemed pretty open, but not real open. But we just went through what it means to have a relationship with Christ versus being religious. And, and then I was kind of getting somewhere. And then the, 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 he, he called a technician and the door opened. So I thought, well, at least I got to open the door and, and plant a seed. As we walked out onto the deck, uh, he, he followed me, stayed with me. And instead of saying that this is what happened over here, he started talking to me about the Lord. 
and asking me questions about the gospel, asking me questions about God. And, and he, he dropped the big question on me. If, if God is really good, then why do bad things happen to people? That's a good question, isn't it? Our, our people are asking that in America. They sure ask it over there in Africa. And so I got to, the, as best I could communicate, understanding what that meant. And he seemed to be very open. And he just kept asking questions. And for 15 or 20 minutes, instead of doing the tour, we got to talk about Jesus. It was awesome. He didn't make a commitment, but boy, he said, thank you so much. And, and then we took the stairs down. And I'm glad we didn't take the stairs up. It was this little bitty turret, and we went round and round and round. But I said, God, thank you that you had already prepared that guy's heart to hear the message of the gospel, and I just got to be in on it. When we give, when we pray, when we go, we get to partner with God, and he's preparing hearts. Third thing that happens when we invest in missions through the North American Mission Offering, we partner with those who are penetrating the darkness. We partner with those who penetrate the darkness. Look at verse 16 through 18 with me. Once as we were on our way to prayer, a slave girl met us who had a spirit of prediction. She made a large profit for her owners by fortune telling. As she followed Paul and us, she cried out, these men who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation are slaves of the most high God. Well, that was truth. And she did this for many days. But Paul was greatly aggravated. And turning to the spirit said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And it came out right away. Paul as he's planning a church, gets to penetrate the darkness, gets to really see God deliver this woman from demonic influence. And when we give, when we pray, when we go, we get to see God penetrate the darkness the same way here in America. She was set free from her bondage. We can see people set free. We have people in our congregation who have been set free from the bondage of alcohol and drug abuse. And their, their testimony is, praise God that I've been set free. When we partner with others who do ministries, who hit the streets of Chicago and the streets of New York City and, and, and the streets of these cities where there's, there's, there's addiction and oppression, we get to partner with them and see the darkness shattered with light. We were pulling into that village in, uh, near Yamasukro on my way back Sunday after preaching, and, and we're driving up there, and Tim who was my, my partner, teaching partner, said, oh, Kevin, he said, You're, he said, this is incredible. He said, I was here last year at this village. He said, some incredible things have happened in this village. You just wouldn't believe it. You wouldn't believe it. So we get in there, and we sit down with the village elders, of the pastors, and, and uh, a young man walks up, and Tim says, is this the guy? And I couldn't understand all the conversation, but there was another guy there who was the guy. And the guy, who was there now warmly welcoming us and greeting us, had been tied to a tree the year before, chained to a tree. And the phrase they use, I said, this guy has been unchained. This guy's been unchained. And what they're saying is he was under demonic influence, chained to a tree. Nobody could manage him. Nobody could care for him. This church prayed for him, and he was set free and unchained. And then I found out that that pastor has a ministry of praying for people, and they bring people from all over that area for his church, for he and his church to pray for. And I said, that's penetrating the darkness. Folks, we may not be able to see the chains here in America, but let me tell you, people are chained, and they need to be set free, and we can partner with our missionaries who do that. Number four, when we invest in missions, we see God rescue and restore families. We see God rescue and restore families. 
Lydia, in verse 15, says she and her whole household came to know Christ. Look at verse 25. After Paul and Silas are uh, arrested, it says about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. By the way, when you're in the darkness, when you're in the pit, when you praise God, people are listening. When you're in the pit and you're struggling and things are not going well and you whine and complain, people are listening. (laughs) They know, that person's a Christian, why are they so miserable? Or, that person's a Christian, why are they rejoicing in the midst of this difficulty? They were listening. Verse 26, suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the jail were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and saw the prison doors open. He threw his sword, uh, drew his sword and was going to kill himself since he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul called out in a loud voice, don't harm yourself because all of us are here. That would be good news, right? If you're the jailer, we're all still here. Then the jailer called for the lights and he rushed in and he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he escorted them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? I love that question. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? He had just experienced some Christians worshiping in prison. Then he experienced this opening of the doors, and he recognizes it's God, and he says to them, what do I need to do to be saved? You know, people are still asking that question. They're not asking it that way. They're not saying, sir, what must I do to be saved? They're asking, why do, why do bad things happen if God's a good God? They're asking, what do I need to do to know him? Can I trust him? They're asking in a lot of ways, but people are still asking that question. And Paul says to them, believe on the Lord and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the message of the Lord to him along with everyone in his house. He took them the same hour of the night and they washed their wounds. And right away he and all his family were baptized. He brought them into the house and he set a meal before them and rejoiced because he had believed God with his entire household families set free Lydia came to know Christ her family came to know Christ the Philippian jailer comes to know Christ his family comes to know Christ we get to see families restored and rescued I love the family we had in our church in the the town I pastored before I came here and the dad got saved and suddenly everything changed in his life he's bringing his wife and his kids to church and His wife got saved, and then a son got saved, and a daughter got saved, and a son got saved. Pretty soon, the whole household, I think there were like five kids, came to know Christ through this man. One man, his influence. One man who said, I'm going to get right with God, and I'm going to do what I need to do. I'm going to be a godly father. I love love one of his youngest sons. They they came to our church, by the way, because a a little boy in our church played baseball with one one of the boys in the family, and he invited him to church. So the boy came, the dad came in. You know how it goes? Just the whole family got pulled in. And the little boy said to him, Dad, you know, ever since you, you, ever since you started going to church there, you don't talk about baseball anymore. All you talk about is Jesus. I said, that's the way it's supposed to be. A family, a whole entire family was saved because that one man. The, one of my interpreters, Dennis, uh, in, in uh, Court d'Ivoire, was telling me his story. And um, he comes from a family, the four sisters, six brothers, or vice versa, I'm not sure, but a family of ten kids or so. And uh, I asked if his family were believers, and he said, no. He said, just my sister and me. He told the story of how his sister had married a man who was a Christian, and and that man led his sister to Christ, and then his sister came and led him to Christ, and and Dennis's passion is to lead his family to Christ. When we invest in missions, and we see church planters penetrating the darkness, changing lives, we can see whole households rescued and restored. 
Number five, when we invest in missions, we get to celebrate the varied ways that God works to bring people to himself. The varied ways God works to bring people to himself. God worked through some ladies at a Jewish prayer meeting. We read it in the story here. God worked through a pagan jailer. God worked through the the deliverance of a woman from demonic influence. God worked through a dramatic prison escape. He, He doesn't always do it the same way, but he always does it. He doesn't always have the circumstances of your life like the other person's, but he's always at work and he's using it for his his glory and for your good. I love the hearing testimonies, people's stories. Sometimes I just say, tell me your story. I love hearing people's stories. We have a man who's a winter Texan who's been coming to our church for years. Um, He gave me a postcard to remember him this time. He gives me stuff every time he comes. And this postcard is a picture of a tree, and it's a dead tree, and then it has limbs growing out of it. He says, that was me. That was my life, dead. But I met Christ and there's new life. Well, he came to know Christ because he found a Bible in a dumpster in an RV park. And he took that Bible and he took it to some friends and he said, I basically explained to me what's going on here. And they led him to Christ. And I think, isn't God good that he would bring a guy to, to, to himself through a dumpster? That's the way God works. Now, he's not going to do that in your life the same way. He might, but he may not. But he's varied in the way he brings people to himself. We've got to be open to that and just be the available person. When God brings a person in our life, we've got to be open to share the gospel with them. I'm thinking about how important it is to be open, to say yes to God. When I went on that website and I applied to go to somewhere to teach with the World Hope Bible Institute, I said, God, I'll go anywhere. And I told them in my application, I'll go anywhere. And then they, of course, they came back and said, where do you want to go? And I said, I'll go anywhere. So finally, I was talking to them. I said, look, I'll go where the need is. So I thought again that it would be a nice little small group, and the need ended up being Africa. And they said Ivory Coast, and I had to look it up on the map. And, but here's the deal. I had already said yes to God. So it didn't matter where they were telling me I was going. See, when the, when the answer is yes, the question really doesn't matter, does it? When you just say yes... I love the story about a congregation that came together to worship and a guest pastor had gone in and he, he was fascinated by this, this incredible worship like the church I was in in the, in the, the little town outside of Yumusukro. And people are celebrating and they're praising God and, and, and uh, just having this incredible time of worship. And, and then it kind of got quiet and got still. And the people are praying and this guest pastor is listening to all this and pretty soon somebody over here just says, yes. And then quiet again. And the person over here, yes, Lord. And then pretty quiet for a while, and yes, Lord. Pretty soon, a bunch of people, one at a time, yes, Lord. And then the pastor of the church steps up, and he says this. He says, Lord, you've heard our answer. Now speak. Do you come to worship every week that way? God, I'm already saying yes to you. You just say whatever you want, and I'm available. I'm I'm willing. When we are willing to say yes, if he calls, you're going to pray because you've already said yes. If he calls you to give, you're already going to give because you've already said yes. If he calls you to go, you've already said yes. That's that's my prayer for us, that we would be a a church that would say yes in advance. God, whatever it is, my answer is yes. Let's pray together.